Thank you. Thank you, Rob. Thank you, Lord, for that. Good morning, everybody. We are going to be discussing the invitation to worship and to set our hearts on that this morning. We're going to do a reading from Psalm 100, which is a beautiful invitation for God's people to worship. Please stand, if you can, for this reading from God's Word. This is Psalm 100. And it says, Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come into His presence with singing. Know that the Lord is, good, is God and that He made us and we are His. We are His people, the sheep of His pasture. Enter His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him. Bless His name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and His faithfulness to all generations. Amen? Amen. Please be seated. Father, thank you. Thank you for this invitation. What a beautifully written invitation it is for your people to come and enter your courts with praise and thanksgiving. Lord, I pray that that would be in our hearts this morning. And Lord, as we begin to explore just practically what it means to worship and how, Lord, I pray that you would do a work that I cannot do, amplify our love for you expressed through worship in these next several weeks and in the years and days to come. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, uh, we are beginning a short series called Why Worship? It's really practical stuff. I want to explore for a few minutes what is happening in the first 15 minutes of the service, which maybe for some of you is, is the high point. Maybe for some of you is like, I don't really get it. I'm not really sure I know what's going on. And, you know, so again, this is a great series for those who maybe were like me back in the day, a first-time church attender. I came in, I didn't really know what was going on and, and how to participate. Or maybe it's for some of you who have, who have been here, been part of a church for a lifetime, and you've just never really maybe thought more about what are we doing when we stand and we sing, and what do we do when we worship. Now, I'm approaching this series as one who has had a variety of experiences churches. I've been in some you know, uh, very large gatherings with thousands of people, and there's very expressive, you know, worship, and, and, and it's big, and it's loud. I've been in more intimate spaces. I've been in different parts of the world worshiping with other people in the church, and then other traditional settings and things, all worshiping the same God, by the way, which has been amazing. And so I'm kind of approaching it from that practicality, and, and my hope is to really look at this very practically. What are, what are the three expressions of worship? Why? Why do we stand when we worship. We're going to talk about that this morning. Next, we're going to explore the idea, why do we sing? What, what, is, what is the point of, of singing in service? And then, what does it mean for us to worship? And what is the Holy Spirit's role in engaging us and encouraging us in this art and act of worship? Now, I'm not going to lie to you. My hope with these next three weeks is to, that the Lord would do a work in your heart as he's continuing to do mine to appreciate more that time of worship that we have together in church. Now, um, to enter into this this morning, i got a real treat for you. Uh, we, we all know that Ruth is such a gift here and has been serving at this church for a long time, but I actually convinced her to come up and share a little bit of her story. So Ruth is with us. She's going to join us because I thought, well, let's hear from the leader herself. This morning, Lu Ruth is going to be here. She's going to talk to us a little bit about her history of worship or story of worship, and then what does she hope to encourage in you and me in the body? So welcome, Ruth. Thank you for being here.
do it every day, every week, wherever I go, I can worship. But what is the importance of coming here? Why did I come here and end up staying? And I thought last week when Lars preached about the bricks from those faithful ancestors, our forebears, who had the vision to put this church up at a time when it was not easy to do. It was hard work, and they had the vision to give us this place. And the first time that I came here uh, to see, you know, would I fit here to lead in music, the first thing that I noticed, I guess what I want to do is raise your awareness of the heritage of faithfulness that was passed on to us from our faithful forebears. And may the footprints that we leave, this is a song that was sung last week by Rob, may the footprints that we leave be as significant. But this is one of the reasons I stayed in this church. First of all, the singing is vibrant and enthusiastic. My first experience here, sitting up there, listening to you sing, it was, it was a holy moment. I felt God's glory just washing over me. That is such a blessing. I've been in so many churches, just like Simon, in many denominations. And the singing is, you know, they're heartfelt and all of that, but there was an enthusiasm here that was just, I, I think we can't take that for granted, and I certainly don't. Um, there's one other thing here. The window in the back was another significant part of my journey. Why did they put these beautiful windows in here? And I guess, you know, as we look at the bricks and faithfulness, that's what we see. This window, first of all, it helped my, my sister, who finally who went through a very difficult time in her life and then finally joined the choir. And fortunately, the choir sat up here every Sunday and saw that window of Jesus holding the lamb. The day after my husband died, I had to play here. He died on a Saturday morning, and I thought, oh, I should shouldn't really be coming, I should be mourning. And I thought, but where else do I belong on a day like this than right here, leading worship? And do you know, <laughs> this is the faithfulness of why we come to a church to visit together. I opened that side door. I came early on Sunday mornings to practice. The organ was sitting right here, and right on my seat, I opened the door, and the light from that window over me. It transported me. The third thing that I appreciate from the ancestors here, from the forebears who laid the foundation for this church, this may sound strange to you in this day and age, but being a woman, it was very difficult from the church that I came from and the, um, the denomination that I came from did not believe, and they still don't, that a woman should be in any kind of leadership role. And so they asked me to lead, play the organ, and they asked me to direct the choir, but I had no input into the planning of the service, or what music should we use, what works best for the service. And so when I came here, I saw that there were women on council, there were women leading in prayer. We have now a woman pastor. I finally had a voice. 
I no longer got the questions. Why do you practice so much? All we want are variations on Jesus loves me. Um, and, and I thought, there, you know, that's not me, though. I, you know, there's no appreciation for excellence or giving the best that you can give. The fourth thing that I appreciate about this church and why I like to come here is because my view of worship is the same as this church. I, uh, we need church, this group, to come together as believers, as broken, hurting, in need of healing and forgiveness. We need to be inspired, to get renewed, to be filled, to commune with God, to hear scripture, to sing, and to praise, to get encouraged, prayed for, refueled with the spirit, touching shoulders with our sisters and brothers. I can't do that all by myself. I can get some of that. And then, here's the part that I love. And then the church goes out, now that they're refueled, they're spirit filled with the spirit, and they become the hands and feet of Jesus. When I came to this church, I could not believe, and it continued through the years where I found out more and more of what was happening outside of this building. That the church is not just here, it's what we do when we're filled and fueled mm. and refreshed and we go out and help. There was so much compassion and mission and teaching and giving of time and money, and it's still going on. And that, to me, is the sign of a healthy church. So that's the ancestors. That's what they gave to me, to us. And now just a little bit on our footprints today, what my worship was shaped by. Um, basically three things. One was 28 years of teaching music in a classroom, leading worship there five days a week. In our, I had a research lab. I could see how children, how humans reacted to music and, and different kinds of music. I played in many different churches and directed choirs. And um, so I, I got in touch with a lot of different um, worship styles and, and ways. And then this church, of course, shaped my view of worship mm. and my, um, I guess, contributing mm. to worship. I used to think that music was a nice hobby something to have fun with, to dance to. It was background filler, and it didn't matter what words were being sung. It just passed by my ears, and some of my junior high kids, too, they would listen to this music. Sometimes I would let them bring in something. And it was so hurtful and harsh, and they said, oh, but Mrs. Rockshaper, we don't listen to the words at all. But they were mouthing every single word. So we have to be careful what we listen to what we present in a worship service. I came to realize that music was so much more than black and white notes on pages, lines and spaces, instruments and musicians. It was so much more than I originally thought. It's an incredible, remarkable gift that God gave us. Mm. It's so much bigger than what we had, I had originally thought. It goes so deep and touches places inside us that can't be described with words or explanations. There's a mystery and a magic about music that I pray for every week. Mm. Why do some, some things bring us to tears in the strangest places, not always only here, but even in other places? 
Music comforts, it heals, it inspires, it excites, it teaches, it influences. It can have a more therapeutic and inspirational impact than anything. And that's why it's important what we sing, what we listen to, and what we play and bring to worship. I've had people walk up after a service with tears streaming down their cheeks saying, what was that you played? Mm. I don't know why it touched me so deeply and I started crying. There's the mystery and the magic of music without even knowing the words, but you can hear that it's God-ordained, that it's something beautiful. Mm -hmm. Children coming into my classroom and standing there on their way out for recess, and there a kid would stand. <laughs> Can I help you? No, I just like standing in here. It's, it's, it feels so good in here. I like being in this room. Or having the children, this is part of the research, teaching them all kinds of different songs and music, and they'd walk in, the little first graders and second graders, and say, Can we sing that fortress song? <laughs> You know, we always think that old music has to be discarded. But this, you know, I'm thinking, why do they pick that song? A mighty fortress is our God. Because it's strong, because they recognize that it gives them a security when they sing that song, that that's who God is. He's mm -hmm. our fortress. I heard it said, and I read, that the devil flees before the sound of music. And I used to tell my students, think how far away the devil flees when not only are we singing music in this room, but we're singing songs about Jesus using a biblical text or the beauty of creation or love. Everything and anything the devil hates and tries to rob from us. So the devil, I even think, must run from this place while we're singing and communing with God. And so maybe for this hour a week, the devil flees And I was convinced that that's why children like being in my music room, <laughs> because they would sing, and the devil took a powder. And maybe that's one of the reasons, at least what I, why I play a prelude here. You know, I guess it's not necessary, but it gives my reason for doing it is to bring us into communion with God, to prepare our hearts for worship, to send the devil on his way, and when you come to this church, you'll hear music to focus us. This is what we're here for, to commune mm. with God, to praise him, to thank him, to get his input, and music that brings glory to God. So my desire is to do what I can to connect worshipers to God. Music to highlight the theme, the scripture, teaching something, or to highlight a season. Christmas, Easter, music to address brokenness, forgiveness, Jesus' walk to the cross, pleas for mercy, comfort, peace, and also praise. But not all of the music is going to be joy-filled and exciting and hand-clapping, dancing in the aisles. Yes, that's important too. Mm. But sometimes you're going to sing hymns and songs that teach, hymns and songs that are prayers or scripture or deal with difficult circumstances? And how do we live when those difficult circumstances come into our lives? I love when the service all ties together, when the music adds, spotlights, incorporates text, gives practical ways to live, to be bold and strong and to stand up against evil, 
to reinforce a theme or a message. And then we can go out from this place carrying the words and the melodies with us throughout the day and the week. Taking that inspiration that we have spoken, sung, read, heard, touched mm. with our sisters and brothers, touched and be the church that's renewed, refueled, and filled. Mm. When I gave my senior recital in, uh, at Calvin College, um, the professor got out and offered a prayer. And his final words, I don't remember what the rest of the prayer was, but what I heard was, establish the work of our hands. Mm -hmm. So may I leave you with this, Psalm 90, may the Lord our God rest upon us and establish the work of our hands mm. for us. Amen. Wow. Thank you. You thought she'd just play the organ. I know. That's so great. As I've gotten to know my sister well, I feel like the well, the well of her knowledge and passion for worship is obvious. So thank you for that, Ruth. I want to get back to the question of the day here, too, which is why do we stand? Why do we stand when we are here in worship? And I was going to recognize that the clicker doesn't always... There you go. Oh. Honorable Judge Marshall Stephen. <laughs> you recognize that we stand in part because there's a physicality that's involved in many different disciplines that we do. Whether it's going to court or going to visit even your grandma and she enters into the room, there is a physicality that is involved in many parts of our lives that we probably don't even think about. I will never forget the time I got to go. I was invited to a University of Texas football game. Hook them Longhorns, right? And there was a pageantry and an expectation to physicality in that experience that I've never, like people just knew, you stand at this point, you put your hand, there was chants and cheers and a liturgy to it. And at one point, one of the opposing players we had been screaming at, to, you know, kill him for 45 minutes, got hurt, and we all got to a knee and... Then you got back up and kill him again. You know, it, there, was a, there was a physicality to it. And so be aware of that, that there's actually a lot of physicality to a lot of things that we do. And church itself does have its own sense of physicality. When we come into a church and we begin to worship, sometimes it's called for, okay, all stand as we worship. And then it's just the expectation sometimes that we would stand. So what is that? What is the purpose of us standing as we worship, wouldn't it be more comfortable if we sat? Or wouldn't it be more biblical if we were prone uh, flat on our faces? So why do we stand? Why do we stand? Now, I say that recognizing that for some of us, the worship can actually be somewhat of an uncomfortable experience. I, I do recognize that while there is, you know, some that maybe are more exuberant or, or like a Ruth, more engaged naturally into the act of worship, and so standing and maybe even expressing themselves physically is normal and natural, for some people in the church, it's, it's difficult, you know. Uh, I grew up, you know, I went to a parochial school, and I was, you know, worship to me at the time was very stiff because there were particular rules I had to follow. We, we could stand up, but we had to stand like this with our hands behind our back. We could not move or talk or move our head. So when I 
I left that, and then I started coming back to church as an adult, I instantly thought, okay, I think this is going to be that uncomfortable part. And I, I learned actually the physicality is a little different. You can actually be relaxed and at, at ease. So the church, too, does have its call for physicality, which can be good, and it can also be somewhat confusing. So why do we stand? Why do we stand? Well, I was thinking about this, and, and I was feeling, um, what if it is awkward, or what if we're not always sure? Um, I love how the psalmist invites us to enter into his gates with thanksgiving with our whole bodies. And then reflecting on that, I was reading this blog post uh, by a worship pastor, Stephen Miller, and he wrote, so as we experience the inward reality of worshiping God with who we are, our bodies, our physicality, our posture reveals our heart's condition. Think about that. Our, our posture, our physicality reveals what is in our hearts. This is why God wants more than, more than for us through the outward motions without actually worshiping. And then he goes on to say the fruit of, outward, of our outward expressiveness reveals the roots of of our heart. Now I listen to those words and I hear those both convicting and inviting. That our outward posture, our posture in worship both reveals the temperature of our heart. Now maybe for some people that's a convicting thought. But it's also an invitation. It's a two-way street that as we stand, as we would give in and participate more fully. Now again, even going back to the football game. I sat there for the first quarter going, this is just weird. You guys you guys are really strange. But then I, I'm not really engaged in the game much, and so I kind of gave in and tried to learn some of the chants and stuff, and it was fun. I think there's, similarly in church, there's a, there's a physicality or a posture of worship that we can give into that actually will enhance and encourage our hearts to participate more fully. And so I'm thankful for this example here. Now, God, he wants us to love him. God wants us to love him. We know that. And the way that we express that love, one of the most significant ways we express that love is through our worship. And remember, God wants us to love him heart, mind, soul, and body. So we stand, we have a posture for worship as an expression of our love for God. And whether we feel it and we're, we're, we're reflecting that or we're asking God to give it to us, and so we stand with our posture. So I'm going to give you three, though, very, very practical reasons why we stand, and then we're going to practice what we preach. We have a little more worship to do this morning. I was thinking back to Nehemiah chapter 8, which is a passage that I had the privilege of teaching on this summer. We had a really great series out of Nehemiah, and in chapter 8, uh, which is a passage that I dug into, there was this moment, and it's kind of the high point of the book there, where Ezra uh, blesses the Lord, and he opens the book. He stands in the sight of all the people, and he's standing there, and he opens up the Word of God, which they hadn't heard in a while. And do you notice that in the passage, he opens up the Word of God, and all the people stood up. Now, the text doesn't tell us that Ezra said, okay, as we open up God's Word, please stand, as if he didn't have to. There was something that compelled them to their feet as he opened up the word of God, because God was among them. And of course, Ezra goes on to bless the Lord, the great God. And all the people were exuberant, saying, Amen, Amen. They even were lifting their hands. And they bowed their heads, and they worshipped God with their faces towards the ground. Their physicality could not help but be compelled by the moment 
to stand and to lift their hands and to bow their, lift their hands and bow their heads because God's presence was among them in his word. And guess what? We're having that same experience here every Sunday. As we gather together, as we open up God's word, as the spirit of God is present here, one of the reasons that we stand is because we are welcoming the very presence of God among us. We are welcoming the very presence of God among us. Just like we were told when we were kids to stand up when someone important enters the room, like your grandma or the judge, or if you've ever had the opportunity, I've, I've had the opportunity to see two presidents speak. You stand when the president enters the room. When an important person enters the room, we stand out of respect and awe and reverence and, in God's case, even a measure of fear because a very important presence has now arrived in the building with us. So we stand in our response to the very presence of God who is here among us in spirit. Now, I have the, the joy. I love uh, meeting new people as they come into the church for the first time. And I've heard this here a few times, and it's really, really, it's probably one of the greatest uh, blessings that we can receive as, uh, new, as pastors when we talk to people that are visiting or coming in for the first time. And, you know, aside from, boy, beautiful building, or wow, this is so great, or oh, everybody's so friendly. That's great, too. But what I love to hear the most is when people come, and I've heard this just last week, someone visited and said, you know what? You can really feel the presence of God here. You can really feel the presence of God in this place. And I think they mean that from, yes, the setting, and yes, the love of the people, and yes, the presence of God's word being preached, and the vibrancy of our worship. But that's one of the greatest compliments that people can have. I had it from visitors, like I said, came in and were like, oh, you can just really feel the presence of God here. And so we stand in recognition of God's presence. Now, the second reason that we might stand in worship is because of this. Now, if you've ever been one where you're like, ooh, I've always wanted to say amen out loud in church or something like that, this is your moment. Let me read this to you, and then you can decide if, if you've ever had that urgency of yelling, a, yelling amen in church. Here it is right now. 1 Corinthians 15, 57 says, But thanks be to God, because he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 Isn't that great? I mean, it's so clear there. What has he given us victory over? Well, we know from Paul's writing and in this chapter and, and everything that Paul is about, he's talking about the gospel, that Jesus has given us victory. Victory over what? On the cross, he died for our sin, all of it. It's all paid for. Blood on the cross pays for all of our sin. Sin has no more power over us. Amen. That's so great. What else has he given us victory of? Well, we know from the resurrection. Christ has defeated even death itself. So sin is defeated. Death is defeated, and Christ has given us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so one of the reasons that we, it's one of the reasons that we gather on a Sunday in remembrance, rather than what was traditionally the Lord's Day, which should have been Saturday. That'd be the Sabbath. But we gather on a Sunday because we're gathering in remembrance every week of that great victory of Jesus' death on the cross and resurrection that put to death forever death itself and sin. And so we stand because we're amazed in that victory. Because anytime we're somewhere and somebody's winning and it's our team, we're compelled to stand. Let me give you a quick example. This happened just last week. Those of you who are tennis fans probably saw it. If you're not a tennis fan, talk to me. I'll convince you of it later. 18-year-old British girl, uh, Emma Radakanu. She was serving for the match. 
championship game and watch especially her joy at winning the tournament. Yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> Well deserved, but notice this her team, family, on their, for feet, an the stands, on their feet. She went Everyone's 10 rounds on their feet. without dropping she fell a to set. The ground in exhaustion. Everyone else instinctively now. I think she came in here ranked 150 in the wins, world, and she no, leaves the U.S. Open champion. Everyone just knows to stand. Say hello to Emma Raducanu. And we're celebrating that victory with her. It's just an instinctive moment, but look at that. Everyone is on their feet because to celebrate her victory. That's how it is here in service. We stand because we're celebrating the victory that Christ has over sin and over death. And we do it every week. Now, we should be mentioning it every week so you know it, but that's what's implied as we gather, as Christians gather in the church and we begin to worship our Lord and our Savior, we stand just like they did at the U.S. Open because he's won. He did it. He beat sin. He took death out. And we stand in celebration of that great victory. One more for you here, and then uh, we're going to practice what we preach. One more reason here. This is in Acts 26. What a moment. Paul, uh, Saul had been a terrible person, persecuting, even participating in Christians being put to death. Suddenly he has a face-to-face -face with Jesus. I would think at that moment Jesus is going to kill me because of what I've done to his people. But Jesus is so gracious. Yes, he does say, you know, I'm the one who, to whom you've been, you've been persecuting my followers. And the Lord said this to Saul. He says, okay, but now, as Saul was cowering on the ground in fear, Jesus says to him, now get up. Stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen and will see of me. Get up on your feet. Don't just cower on the ground because of your sin, and he was rightfully convicted of it. But now, forgiven, the Lord says, stand up. I'm going to use you. And so I believe that one of the reasons that we stand on our feet is we are declaring our allegiance. We're declaring our alliance to God and his purposes. In the same way that Jesus told Saul, uh, cowering on his feet, stand up, I'm going to use you. I think one of the reasons that we stand up in church, and again, we may not know we mean this, but this may be helpful for you, is we're standing saying, Lord, I'm here, you can use me. You can use me for your kingdom's purposes. I'm in, I'm here. What do we do when somebody's trying to gather people for something? You're like, all right, I'm going to stand up, I'm with you, let's go, let's get the job done here. That's one of the reasons we stand up during worship. As we stand, we're saying, Lord, I'm with you. I'm declaring my allegiance. I'm declaring my affection. I'm declaring my agreement. But I'm also declaring my alliance. I'm with you. Which is one of the reasons, maybe, by the way, and, it, and it's, it, it's okay if you're not this kind of person yet, where you, maybe you might even raise a hand. You ever had that urge to raise a hand and maybe held it back a little? I, I, I'm a hand raiser. I, have, I haven't, always been, haven't always been a lot of things. But at some point, I decided to stop fighting the urge. But when we raise our hand, we're not only raising it maybe in praise and in worship, just like they did in Nehemiah's day, but you know what that also looks like? Pick me. Pick me. Pick me. So I think one of the reasons that we might even stand is to say, Lord, I'm here for you. 
and you're here for me, and I love you, and I recognize you're here with us, and I'm standing because I'm celebrating your great victory over sin itself and death, and thank you, Lord, and then I'm, I'm in. Uh, my, I pledge my allegiance to you, Lord, and I pledge myself to your kingdom purposes. I'm in. I'm here. Use me. Use me. Use me. So, we stand to affirm our commitment to God's kingdom purposes, and I think we do it every single time we get together. Maybe this is new information for you. Maybe you're like, well, I just thought the whole time we were just standing. I didn't even know why. But we're actually standing with a purpose. Now, again, that may be new for you. Maybe this is the first time. And as we enter into worship, as, as Sister Ruth does what she does so well, lead us in worship. You don't have to stand. It's okay. But if the Lord is urging you to stand with that sense of purpose, I want to invite you to do so. Let me pray, and then we're going to respond. We're going to practice what we're preaching here. We're going to do a couple of songs, of, uh, a couple of hymns that are going to really stir our hearts. Lord, I'm, I'm asking, God, that you would continue to do a work as you're, you're always doing a work in my heart to draw me closer to you, to be able to express my, my love for you. And Holy Spirit, we know you're here because two or three of us are gathered now in the name of Jesus, and so we know you're present with us. And Lord, we, we stand in recognition of that great presence now as we worship you in spirit and in truth.